Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. I hope you're having a fantastic week. Uh, This week, not too much to report. Uh, We're going to start doing some college visits soon for my oldest. And my second son, Parker, is still learning how to drive. And he's doing a good job. I have to say, I thought he was going to be the easiest to teach just because he has this really good great general awareness of everything around him. He's very, I would say that he's very people smart. Like he just very common sense, just gets things, but it's still stressful. Do not get me wrong. Um, Apparently I'm supposed to chill when he decides to break within five feet of the car in front of us and that he's got this and I just need to relax I I don't know if you ever fully relax when your kid is driving a vehicle. It is one of the most stressful things I've ever done. I really, really thought Jim was going to take some ownership with teaching kids to drive, but he has no interest in it at all. Uh, But he's going to have to because I am most certainly not getting in a car with Ben. And the girls and I, we're kind of at this state right now where everything that's wrong is my fault. So I can't see how getting in a car with them would make much sense unless we get through this phase. And from what I hear from all of you with teenage daughters, this this phase lasts for a while. So <laughs> I think I'm going to retire my driving teaching skills um, after Parker. I just I think that makes sense. And I'll just drive the other kids around wherever they need to go. So... That's what's going on with us. Hopefully you guys, like I said, are having a great week. Things are going well. Today I finished up my assembly series at uh, our local school district. So that felt good. We did how many schools? Seven schools and 13 assemblies. So it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And such a privilege to be able to go into the school districts and teach these kids healthy habits. You guys, you know that the habits we create when we're younger, they follow us into adulthood. They do. And so it just makes sense if we can establish those healthy habits at a young age. We don't have to find them so challenging when we're middle age because our habits have set in and, and it's hard. I know I've got a bunch of habits that I want to change and I wish I would have, I would have had a better foundation earlier. I mean, when I say earlier, yeah, it would have been great if I would have learned some of these things in my childhood, but just even three years ago, five years ago, I still am hearing people talk about the habits that they created over COVID and dealing with the ramifications of that. So teach them young, stay in it, 
keep moving, keep going forward. You, you guys, you parents are doing a great job and, and we just need to collectively stick together and, you know, rely on our, our village. As I say, I'm always, it takes a village. I fully stand behind that whole statement. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about how to establish a goal weight And this is something that you may have had a conversation with your doctor in the past. If, you know, if you've ever had that frustrating conversation with your physician about your weight before, Um, this may be something that you read in a magazine or online about figuring out what your goal weight should be. It's interesting because most people that come to our office for weight management, they have a specific number in mind. And I'm always curious when people come in, I I ask the question, it's actually on our questionnaire, what do you think is a healthy weight for you? And I don't preface that with any disclaimers. I just kind of put that statement out there because I want to see where people's heads are. I want to see if what they're The number they're coming up with is something that's realistic. If they might be letting some old diet trauma factor into their number. And I get this question enough, like what should my goal weight be that I figured now is good as time as any to talk about it. Before I go into figuring out what that goal weight should be, I figure it should be, we should probably start with where do some of these numbers come from? So as you know, as I've mentioned many times before, we see clients one-on-one in our office. We uh, su- supply, that's not even a great word. We provide medical nutrition therapy. And so we also take health insurance to cover the cost of the visits. And a lot of time, insurance companies will dictate who is allowed to get care based on their BMI. Right. So if you are a certain within a fall within a certain range of the BMI, you can get coverage or you can qualify for preventative services where you have more visits allotted to you. Um, some insurances want specific medical diagnoses like diabetes or high blood pressure. And some insurances, our favorites, are the ones that just provide the service to anybody looking for more education. You know, for me, I think preventative care is is the best care. Like why wait until you're diagnosed with diabetes to, to get help? I mean, isn't the point to figure all this out before you get diabetes or before you get high blood pressure? So depending on your health insurance, they may dictate care, again, based on medical necessity or based on a BMI. So let's talk about BMI for a little bit because it's a number that you probably, numbers you've probably heard of, but where did this even come from? So it actually ends up that BMI was invented back in the 1830s by this Belgian statistician, sociologist, astronomer and mathematician, Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelet. I'm sure I'm butchering his name, but you can just Google it and figure out how you want to pronounce it. But the key thing here is our friend Lambert was not a physician. 
He was a statistician. He was an astronomer. He was a mathematician. But he came up with this formula to determine whether or not a person was overweight or not. And how he figured this out, the BMI, which stands for body mass index, is you take your weight in pounds and you divide it by your height in inches squared. So take your height in inches and multiply it times your height in inches. That's your denominator. And you take your weight in pounds as your numerator, divide those numbers, and then multiply that by the factor 703. Now, why 703? Because it just seems like a silly number. But that is the conversion factor to go from the English system to the metric system. Because you have to remember, the whole world uses the metric system. Us in the United States, we're still like holding on to the English system, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, the metric system makes a ton of sense. It's all 10-based. So in order for us to convert and use our pounds and inches like we are holding on to, we have to multiply times a factor of 703. Now, if your number, based off of that calculation above, if that number is under 18.5, you're considered underweight. If you're between 18.5 and 24.9, you're considered normal weight. Anything between 25.0 and 29.9 is considered overweight. Anything greater than 30 is obese, and anything over 40 is considered morbid obese. Now, obviously, there are lots of limitations with this calculation, right? First and foremost, it doesn't allow for uh, calculations for bone, muscle, and fat. In fact, I had a, a gentleman come into our office before. I think I told you this story, and he was trying to enlist in the Army, but based on his BMI, he was showing up as obese. We actually brought him in to do a body comp scan, and his body fat was, I believe, 6%. I mean, this guy was a specimen. He was ripped. He was all muscle. But because muscle weighs so much, it was actually driving his BMI into an obese category. And so was kind of fun. I got to sign government papers to say like, this guy is legit. You would be a fool if you did not accept him into your program because I would want him to defend me, right? He's a strong guy. He was the sweetest guy too. Very level-headed. Just, you know, such an asset to our country. And because of a calculation from a statistician in the 1830s, he was almost going to be denied that chance. So the BMI has its limitations. Uh, another limitation is it doesn't account for waist size. And we do know that that central obesity, when you carry your weight in your stomach region, that is what is a better indicator of obesity and comorbidities, right? Things like insulin resistance and diabetes and high cholesterol, hypertension. So the BMI doesn't account for any of that. The BMI doesn't account for male or female either. It's everybody gets the same calculation. Weight over height squared times 703. So a lot of limitations. There are some pros to using it. And the only pro I can think of is it's easy. And it's non-invasive. Like you literally can just throw somebody on a scale and measure their height. And all of a sudden have data. 
where if you have to get the tape measure out and wrap your arms around somebody's body that might feel a little intrusive, um, if you have to do body fat calipers, that can be painful depending on who's doing it. I know when I was doing it in college, I probably hurt a couple people trying to pinch their fat and separate the fat from the muscle. So, you know, so telling somebody to jump on a scale and measuring their height, that's pretty non-invasive and it's an easy way. It's just not an accurate way. So I know for us at Body Metrics, we don't use BMI for making recommendations in terms of overall health. We use BMI to potentially get more people services with our, with our company, but we don't look at that as the end all be all to what is a goal weight, because we know there are a lot of factors that go into it. I would much rather look at somebody's body comp results and make a recommendation based on that than I would a BMI. Now, the other tool that you can use to figure out your, your, um, goal weight is something called the ideal body weight or IBW. This was published in 1912 and how they came about this scale was they used measurements collected from insurance policy holders that lived between 1885 and 1908. So this was a very long time ago. Basically, they defined these ideal weights as the weight associated with the greatest life expectancy. So there are these charts, and they're different for men and women. For women, if you are five foot, they allow for you to be 100 pounds. And then for every inch over five foot, you multiply times five. So if you are a five foot four woman, 100 pounds for being five foot, Four inches over five foot, you would take four times five, which is 20. Ideal body weight, 120. For men, instead of it being 100 pounds for five foot, it's 106 pounds. And for every inch over five foot, an additional six pounds. So if you are a 5'10 male, you'd be 106 pounds for the five foot. 10 inches times six would be 60 plus the 106 ideal body weight would be 166. Okay. And so again, these numbers were created and developed as the way to assess whether somebody had the greatest life expectancy, which again has flaws written all over it, because we know that weight is not an indicator all the time when it comes to diseases. I have plenty of clients in our office that are on the thinner side and diabetic or have high blood pressure. It's not an absolute if you're overweight, that is the only time you get certain medical conditions. So there's absolutely a limitation. Now, one of the things that I do appreciate about ideal body weight is it gives a 10% buffer on each side to account for frame size. So unlike the BMI that cannot uh, account for frame size and muscle, the ideal body weight gives a 10% buffer on each side. So again, if you're that 5'4 woman and your ideal body weight is 120 plus or minus 10%, so plus or minus 12 pounds. So if you are in a smaller frame body, your ideal body weight could still fall at 
what did I say there? 12. So 120 minus 12 puts you at 108 if you have a very small structure and up to 132 if you are in a larger frame. So thank goodness that they have allowed for some of those variations in body type because surprise, we don't have the same exact body type. We know that not everybody has the exact same body frame, nor would we want them to. That would be boring if we all look like a bunch of robots. I remember reading about, you know, the celebration of different body types and thinking of a field of flowers and how when you have all these different flowers in the field, like some are tall and thin and some are short and and stubby, but when you put all of them in the same landscape, you've got this gorgeous garden of flowers versus just a monotone garden where every single flower is the same. Like the differences is what is the beauty. But we want to all believe that everybody should look the exact same way. And, and that's just not true. It's not realistic. So we have these numbers that the medical community has deemed worthy and um, insurance reimbursement is based off of these. Uh, they're in our charts. All the electronic health records have them built in, ideal body weight and, and BMI. And so we have these numbers. And, and like I said, you may have had that really uncomfortable conversation with your physician in the past when they said, you know, you need to lose weight. And then they pulled out these charts and you're like, what the, like, where did this number even come from? I haven't seen that weight since high school, or I haven't seen that weight um, since I was in my early 20s. And it may feel really unrealistic, which can feel overwhelming. And like, why bother trying? Because it just doesn't feel right for you. So again, that's why I ask that question every time people come into my office. What do you believe is a healthy weight for you? not the charts that you have seen on the internet, not the charts that your doctor has hanging on the wall in their office somewhere. What do you think is a healthy weight for you? And when I define it that way, people can give me a much more realistic answer. But that doesn't mean I don't continuously get the question, what, is a, what should my goal weight be? So I'm going to answer that question by giving you five things to think about when you're making that, that final answer, when you're, when you're thinking about what do I want my goal weight to be? All right. I'm going to tell you five truths about goal weight. The internet won't tell you. The internet will tell you, look at the BMI chart, look at the ideal body weight chart and be that number but I'm going to give you five other considerations. And I want you to really take these considerations to heart. I don't want you to just blow them off like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I should probably do that. Like, I actually want you to, you know, embrace these and feel them in your core so that you can do, you can make the best decisions for you. You can honor yourself in the highest form and can feel really good and confident about your decisions. So here are some truths about creating your goal weight. All right. So first truth, again, the, the internet won't tell you, is goal weights, 
most goal weights that people make are often unrealistic and they set people up for unnecessary suffering and failure. All right. Again, when you think of your goal weight, when is the last time that you weighed that number? So many of my clients are coming in with goal weights of what they weighed in high school, like 45 to 60 year old patients that come into my office are telling me that their ideal body weight was when they were 18. Like, first of all, you were still a kid, right? You were a teenager. You weren't even legally an adult yet. And being the size of a kid is probably not a realistic number after you've had three kids and are in your mid fifties. I just, I don't think it's, it is. It's realistic. You're a different person. You've gone through different life experiences. Um, if you've had children, like your body has physically changed. Your hips are in a different position. At least mine always, mine are. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my hips are in a different position than they were when I was 18. And they should be. They've been through a lot, right? And for some people, your goal weight was your wedding day. And if you're honest, you did some ridiculous restriction before your wedding day to look good in your dress. So maybe that number isn't a realistic number for you now because you had to do some really crazy dieting to get into your dress or into your tuxedo. So I want you to just really think about are you making a realistic goal, right? I mean, what I would rather you do is focus on creating healthy habits and then seeing where your weight ends up. That feels like a more honoring way to go about it. You know, asking yourself constantly, is this sustainable? Does this feel good? You know, do I... Can I see myself doing this for the rest of my life? Do I like what I'm doing? Right? Those are better questions than, you know, asking yourself why you can't get down to your wedding weight. And again, if they're unrealistic and you never hit them, like, what is the point? Why keep putting yourself under such duress and suffering for no reason? Right? It just it doesn't make sense. Like I had a, a guy that recently came into the office and I'm not quite sure where he got his numbers, but was trying to follow um, like kind of counting his macros, looking at his carbs, proteins and fats. His protein number was ridiculous. And he was getting so frustrated every day. He's like, I just don't understand why I can't hit my protein numbers. I'm like, well, first of all, your numbers aren't even right. <laughs> like it is such an unrealistic number. No wonder you're so discouraged every day. And he just wanted to quit because he's like, I can't hit these numbers. They're, it's just too hard. He was always like 70, 80 grams short of where he needed to be until I looked at his numbers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> this is actually what your number should be. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, well, I can do that. I can focus on that and I, that feels sustainable. I'm like, great, then that's where you need to be. But sometimes we create such unrealistic goals and we come short, every, we fall short every day and we get so discouraged that 
we end up ditching all of the good habits because the goal just wasn't the right goal. So I want you to really take that into consideration. You know, is your goal weight so unrealistic that it's constantly setting you up for failure and suffering? The second truth about goal weight that the internet won't tell you is that some people are happier and healthier at weights higher than what they think they should be. I've told you this multiple times. If you are sacrificing your mental health for quote unquote physical health, meaning goal weight, you do not have health. You have a problem. All right. And again, if we can focus on the habits, we can just, uh, I don't want to say magically, that's not the word I'm looking for, but we can just naturally settle in to what is a good weight for our bodies. Most people, when they're setting a goal weight, is they're not trying to hit a number. If you're being honest, you're trying to attain a feeling, a feeling of happiness, a feeling of being proud of yourself, a feeling of having higher self-esteem. That's what you're seeking. You're thinking that that number will make you feel a certain way that is not available to you at the weight you are now. And that cannot be further from the truth. Being a lower weight does not equal happiness. How do I know that's true? I work with eating disorder clients. They're at a very low body weight and they are not happy. They're miserable. So we have to stop associating smaller numbers, unattainable numbers, unhealthy numbers with happiness because it's just not true. All right. So again, don't sacrifice your mental health for a goal number, especially if it's making you miserable or if it's making the people around you miserable and you're not living a full life, right? I mean, I, I don't want to get to the end and just be like, ugh, what a waste of time. I could have been enjoying things. I could have been doing things. I could have been trying new things and, and experiencing new things, but I was always just so focused on this that I wasn't able to do the real important things in life. And that brings me to truth number three that the internet won't tell you is when you overvalue your weight, it leads to behavior overcorrections. If you spend so much time focused on what your weight should be and, and getting to that number the minute something goes wrong, it most likely derails you, right? You aren't able to go to the gym because your boss asks you to stay late and you literally throw a fit. Oh my gosh, how will I ever recover from this? I'm never going to be able to hit my goal weight now. Like there needs to be opportunities where life gets in the way and you're still okay, but again, when you're making a goal weight that's so unrealistic, any bump in the road is going to cause lots of panic. And that's not how it should work. 
there's got to be room for grace. There's got to be room for impromptu and there's got to be flexibility. If you want this to work long time and you want to be successful, there has to be room for all of that to occur. So we have to focus on other things. I told you the story before I went to uh, an obesity conference and the psychologist stood on stage and he said, you need to tell your clients to get a life. This cannot be their only focus all day long, day in and day out. They need to have purpose in other areas. Otherwise, this will become an obsessive journey that will not end well. Either they're going to become so frustrated and discouraged and quit and and not engage in any health habits, or they're going to teeter on the line of disordered eating or eating disorders, and obviously that's not healthy either. So we have to make sure that, you know, we're, again, I can't reiterate this enough. It is a realistic number for you. All right. The fourth truth about goal weights, the internet won't tell you, is weight change, changes to your weight, weight fluctuations, they're normal. Guys, your weight will always be in flux. It will constantly be moving due to fluid shifts, due to hormones, due to what you ate. Did you have something salty? Are you constipated? Like, Lots and lots of things influence your weight. What really frustrates me is when people weigh themselves multiple times a day. I I don't know what you're expecting to see. And I say this with a lot of love. I'm not saying this to be condescending or judgmental. I'm just being honest. You are going to weigh different weights all day long. Again, based off of what you ate, based off of the timing of your last meal, based on what you've drank, based on how many times you've gone to the bathroom. I don't understand why looking at a scale multiple times a day is helpful or healthy, especially for your mental health. You are going to weigh different. So why go through the process of judging yourself more than you need to. It's just not kind. I mean, you wouldn't put your kid on a scale multiple times a day and in an act of shaming them for what they did or didn't do. Like, that's, that's terrible. You, but yet, for some reason, you think it's okay for you to do that to yourself. Right? Your weight will always be in flux. It's going to move. And it's not only going to move every day, but it's going to move throughout different seasons of your life. Like when you have a baby, like when you start a new job, like when there's a death in the family or somebody gets sick. Like those are all very normal times for your weight to fluctuate. It's very normal for your weight to move, but what is not normal is your preoccupation with not wanting the number to move. I'll say that again. It's very normal for your weight to be in flux, but what's not normal is your unhealthy preoccupation with trying to keep it be the same all day long. 
This is why when I help people make um, goal weights for themselves, I am adamant about having a goal range. Never ever try to make your goal weight be a singular number. You're setting yourself up for failure. That number needs to be a range, maybe a five to seven pound range. If you are a larger person and have had more weight loss, your range will have to be larger because you're going to see greater shifts, right? Somebody who has never been overweight in their life may see that their weight fluctuates between five pounds. Somebody who may have gained 75 pounds over uh, what is a healthy weight for them might notice that their weight fluctuates 10 pounds in a given day, right? So it really depends on what your prior dieting history has looked like and your weight in total in terms of how big your range needs to be. But that range has to be realistic. And if your range is, say, your goal weight, you've made this your mission to weigh one 40, just throwing a number out there, do not make your weight range between 130 and 140. That's not fair. That's not realistic. Maybe your range should be 140 to 150 and you start there first. Don't make that range, you know, the number at the top be your lowest number. That's just setting you up for failure again. All right, number five. Fifth truth about goal weight, the internet won't tell you, but I will, is your weight is not what you're going to be remembered for. And we need to stop living as if it is. When you die, as morbid as that is, your weight is not on your tombstone. When people are at your celebration of life service or your viewing, nobody in the room is going to talk about how much you weighed. Nobody is ever going to talk at your service about your weights in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. They're not going to talk about that. Here's the thing. Nobody is also talking about what size pants you wear. Funny thing, your tag, it's on the inside. It's not on the outside of your clothes. We don't walk around with our size of our clothing on the front of our shirt. But yet we act as if everything depends on it and that everybody is talking about it. Your weight is not your legacy. And so if you are going to create a goal weight, I want you to first and foremost absorb this thought that your weight is not you. It's a part of you, but it is not who you are. It is not what you're going to be remembered for. So when you make a number, make sure that you keep that thought in mind. I um, I told you before that I do these workouts um, on YouTube and there's a Facebook community. I think of over, I think 100,000 people are in this Facebook community. And a lady posted the other day of her changes over the years from doing these workouts. And, you know, it was funny. She wrote at the bottom... Like, how did she say it? I wish I would have taken a screenshot because I thought it was really powerful. 
you know, it was something about how many workouts a week. And then I think she wrote five or six. How long are her workouts? And she wrote the time. How many calories does she eat? No clue. How much does she weigh? No clue. How many grams of protein does she eat? She did have that number written down. But what I loved about it is it wasn't about her calories. It wasn't about her weight. It didn't matter. What mattered were those pictures and those results. Her body was very, it was very clear to see her body has changed because of these workouts. There was a lot more muscular tone. There was so much strength in her legs and her arms and her back. And who cares? Like who cares what her weight is when you can feel strong and capable and able to take care of yourself? Who cares? Like I know for me, I, I, well, you know, I don't even own a scale. We don't have a scale at home at all. So I have no clue what I weigh day to day. The only way I know what I weigh is by doing body composition screens. And I do them every time I change up my workout, which is anywhere between six to 12 weeks. I could care less what my weight is. I care more about my muscle mass and are these workouts helping me get stronger? I have a lot of strength goals. Like I want to be able to do a lot of pull-ups. Today in my workout, I did 20 push-ups on my toes. No problem. I remember there was a time I could hardly do 10 push-ups on my knees. And now I can do 20 push-ups and still probably keep going. Probably not a lot, <laughs> but I could probably keep going for another maybe five without having to stop. That's huge to me, right? And I don't know if strength goals are your goals, but I'll tell you what's not my goal anymore is my weight. The longer I made, well, I should say not the longer, but the more I made weight and that goal weight be my only focus the more it actually took me further away from my goal. And when I started realizing, hey, weight's going to fall where it is. I can try to manipulate it, but at the end of the day, my habits are what matter most. And so if you want to create a goal weight, I can't stop you from that. If that's helpful to you, go ahead and create one. But I want you to keep these five things in mind when you're creating that healthy weight for you, that goal weight. Now, I will tell you what I tell my clients because I get this answer or I get this question all the time. What should my goal weight be? And this is what I answer with. I don't know. I don't know where, where your weight is going to end up, but these are the things that I strive for to know that I'm in my healthy weight range. So number one, I'm able to move my body the way I want to. And when I say move my body, for me, it's exercise and trying new things and pushing my body to new limits. Um, for some of my clients, it's, you know, to be able to get a shower and be able to move their extremities around their body to wash themselves. I have some clients whose goal is to be able to tie their shoes on top of their shoelaces instead over to the side because they can't bend down to tie their shoe. Um, I don't know what weight that is for you. I don't know if that weight is down 15 pounds, if that weight is down 25 pounds till you can tie your shoe. But that's a good place to start. 
Um, for some of you, it's being able to play with your kids without getting exhausted. So what is your movement goal? Maybe it's to go get the mail or walk up a flight of steps without huffing and puffing. Those are really good goals. And I don't know what your weight will be when you can reach those goals, but you're definitely in a better place and closer to that goal weight when you can accomplish those things. The other question I'll ask is, you know, are you on any unnecessary medications? And unnecessary is the operative word because there are some medications that are absolutely necessary for your overall health and longevity. Those are not the meds I'm talking about. But for some of you, you are on meds because of your lifestyle choices. And a lot of my clients are motivated to get off medication. And that's not an option for everyone, and so I'm not going to pretend it is, but a lot of my clients are able to decrease dosages or get off certain medications when they make these habit changes. Something I think that needs to be said is a lot of times doctors will show people these BMI charts and tell them where their ideal body weight should be, and that could be anywhere between 10, 20 to 100 pounds away from where they're currently at. The good news is just a 10% reduction in body weight can alter your labs. So for you, it may not be I need to lose 80 pounds to get my blood sugar under control. Maybe just losing 10% of your body weight can have positive ramifications the next time you get blood work. So if that larger number seems overwhelming to you, break it up in 10%. That feels a lot more doable. That feels a lot more realistic. And you'll probably get the positive benefits from it right away looking at your blood work. And then the third way uh, I try to help people figure out where their goal weight should be is are they able to maintain that weight within reasonable measures? Okay, so what do I mean by reasonable measures? Well, you know, their diets are not overly restrictive. Like they can go out to eat with friends or they can enjoy a holiday meal or they can have ice cream with their kids every once in a while. Like. If you can't do those things because your diet is so restrictive, you can't go out to a friend's house without bringing your own pre-portioned meal, that's, that's not a reasonable measure. That, that number you're trying to attain is probably too low. I'm all about making good healthy choices. But if it's to the point where you can't be social or you can't go out to a restaurant because any calorie over a certain amount would put you in a tailspin mentally or make you gain, uh, you know, weight, and then you're probably not going after a realistic goal. And then on the flip side of that is, you know, are you able to engage in moderation when it comes to activity? Like if you need to run a 10k every day just to maintain your weight probably not the right weight for you all right because again what happens if you get injured what happens if you know you can't work out one day 
like you, there has to be room for flexibility. Yes, it's great. We want to aim for working out often and moving our bodies often. But if you can't take a rest day without the scale bouncing right up again and, and freaking out about that, then that is probably not a realistic goal weight for you. So I'm not giving you a number. I'm not telling you if you are this tall or you have this body frame, then you should weigh this number because it's not accurate. It's not true. And it's not, I won't do it. Who am I? Right? You live in your body. You know yourself mentally and physically. And you are capable of coming up with a realistic goal for yourself. Again, I prefer you to focus on habits. Um, I prefer you to give yourself a range if you are going to come up with a weight. But my hope for you is that eventually you can become like that woman in that Facebook group who says, I don't know. I don't know what my weight is. And it doesn't matter because I'm showing up for me and I'm here for all of it. And that is only a part of me. It is not who I am. All right, guys, that was a long one. So let me get to your recipe. And today it's going to be a quinoa bowl with spinach, pomegranates, and chickpeas. So for this recipe, you're it's going to serve four people. Uh, you're going to need one pomegranate, four cups of baby spinach, four cups of cooked and cooled quinoa, a half of an English cucumber sliced into half moons, one 15-ounce can of chickpeas drained and rinsed, an avocado diced, four tablespoons of olive oil, two lemons, a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, and a quarter teaspoon of cracked ground pepper. All right, first you're going to cut the pomegranate in half. Hold that one half over a large bowl and give the round side several whacks against the bowl. The seeds should fall right out. Alternatively, you may need to open up the pomegranate with your thumbs to help release those hard-to-get seeds. Some people will open up a pomegranate under a bowl of water and just let the seeds um, come out that way. It's a little less messy basically get to the seeds or you can go buy them, right? And you can just avoid the whole mess of trying to crack it open. Next, you're going to divide the spinach and quinoa among the four bowls, add the cucumber, chickpeas, avocado, and those pomegranate seeds. And then finally drizzle a tablespoon of the olive oil over each salad. Uh, give each bowl a squeeze of lemon juice and then sprinkle with salt and pepper. And you have a great uh, lunch idea, or a side dish to a dinner, even, you know, an afternoon snack, maybe, depending on how much you're eating. But it's a great way to use up some of that leftover quinoa in your fridge, get lots of color, get lots of protein and fiber, and really help you feel good all day long. All right, guys, that's what I have for you this week. As always, have a fantastic week, and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook 
at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrian Delgado, and I'll see you next week.